This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Francis Foster, who's a co-host, along with Constantine Kissin, of Trigonometry, which is a wildly successful YouTube channel that uh, kind of uh, poaches my guests, or maybe I poach theirs. I guess you'd have to date all the interviews. In this conversation, we talk about comedy, we talk about reality, we talk about honesty, we talk about virtues, values, malice, and laughter. And I think we, uh, you know, display those characteristics, probably not malice necessarily, uh, throughout the entire conversation. This is a great view into a great interviewer. I'm glad to have him on and I will get out of the way so you can immerse yourself in our chitter chatteriness. Here's Francis Foster. I asked Constantine this, but do you... Do you need like to set down some parameters uh, or no. get warmed up? Ask okay, you, you're you in want. the role. You you guys are always in the fuse state. Yeah. I no, ask it. us. Ask me whatever you want. We'll, we'll have a chat okay. about it. Well, how did the how did teaching drama prepare you for what you're doing now? How did teaching I guess it drama? totally did. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess it did. Number one, it teaches you to say no, and number two, it teaches you. To you, that you encounter a wide variety of personality types. There, is, there are many, many different types of uh, children, just as there are people. And what you see invariably with children is you see the personality without the adult. And by that, I mean, as adults, we learn how to hide, mask certain aspects of ourselves. We learn to contort ourselves in order to you know, fit into social situations, please people to get what we want. Children don't have that. And... Y- the reality is, is that when you teach kids, you actually see the human being at its most honest without all the social niceties and all the rest of it. So I guess what it taught me is that there are certain personality types. You know, you sit down with somebody, you talk to them and you go, oh, yeah, I know what kind of kid you were. Or what kid? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I've noticed that, too. I, I spent a lot of time working with children as well and being exposed to the pre-adult or the pre-cultured mm. being. Uh, then when I interact with cultured beings, I can connect with that if possible. I usually end up connecting with that pre-cultured being, mm. which leads to interesting conversations or, or I know if I can handle them or not, you know, or w- what they're going to be doing. Well, actually, it's a really, it's a really interesting tool to use when you're te- when you when you're having an interview with something because what is an interview? It's just a it's a conversation. So you know, you know, by looking at them, certain things that they do, mannerisms, ways that they interact, that how they're going to respond to certain things. Uh, for instance, we had one particular person on, you know, and he, you know, the, you know, this person has a really, really, you know big personality and I'm like I know what kid you were you were a naughty little boy deep down and I actually said it to him in the interview and he laughed and I went you were weren't you and he sort of nodded his head huh the what were uh, you were saying about connecting with different personality types Mm. 
Do you have a reading on uh, like proclivities for personality types uh, leading to ideology uh, or like kind of informing like somebody's like where they end up politically or? Well, uh, I mean, I don't know enough about this, but there certainly is an argument argument to be made that genetically, you know, that we have a predisposition to certain personality, to having certain political views. For instance, we had a friend of mine on the show called Dr. Mike Martin. Uh, and Mike started off as a soldier. He was in Afghanistan. He was one of the few soldiers, British soldiers, who learned Pushtu, which is the language of the Afghan tribes. And he was in a liaison between the tribes and the British Army. So that's how he started off. And then he's now a visiting professor of war studies at, at King's College. And he wrote a book called Why We Fight, exploring mm. all, the, all the reasons for that. He talked a lot on in our interview about oxytocin. And the fact is oxytocin is a hormone which is, gives you a sense of belonging. But not only does it give you a sense of belonging, it also gives you a distrust of the other group, which is evolutionarily highly necessary because you want to mm. bond with your group because it makes you stronger, but also at the same time, it wants you to make you aware of dangers from the outside. And he was saying that actually, for those people who feel that hormone more strongly, that means that, number one, they feel a greater sense of pride in the in-group, then that means that maybe they might be more nationalistic. Maybe they might feel a stronger sense of identity with a, with a group. Whereas if you don't feel that as intensely, maybe that means you might be more individualistic because you don't feel that sense of belonging or yearning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it can inform collectivism versus individualism in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. But, you, but you look at it in, in another way, like take the United States of America. That was, for, you know, who were those people? A lot of those people went there because they wanted to build a new life for themselves. Hence, you have a country like America, which is hyper-individualistic. You have the American dream. But also, you know, that has numerous positives to it. But also it has the negatives as well. well you know, the lack of community, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're in competition with one another. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you, uh, how do you suss out the tension between collectivism and individualism? I know that's a broad, maybe even a boring question, but I'm always kind of wrestling. I want to be an individual, but I do like my collective. And uh, I, I know there's positives and negatives to both. I, I, think, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of positives and, you know, and there's a lot of negatives to both. I, I think the problem is, is that so, as someone who still considers himself to be on the left, although that term is becoming more and more meaningless, yeah, I, I think the left tends to be more collective as an ideology. You know, the fact yeah. that we're all in this together, you know, socialized mm -hmm. healthcare, which I think is a great idea, and you know, so on and so forth. But there are elements of the right that you find yourself being torn to, you know, the desire to you know, want to improve, the desire to want to build something for yourself, you know, the acquirement of property, for example. And I always find myself torn between these two things, between these two ideologies. And in a sense, this desire to want to better yourself, whilst at the same time realizing that you have a social responsibility to yeah. the people around you and to society as a whole. And trying to balance those things is actually really, really difficult, particularly mm. now where everything has become more polarized and more binary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you guys, uh, do you and, and your partner, Constantine, do you guys like think about like, are you radicalizing or de-radicalizing people? Are you pushing people away or toward uh, different sides? Do you I, consider that? I, I do consider that because whenever you do a show like this, you have to, you have to accept that you are having an impact on the world. 
And whatever yeah. impact you have, it's going to have both positive and negatives. What we try and do is we just try and treat people like adults. I, I think that's the number one thing. We go, right, what we're going to do is we're going to interview this person. We're then going to put out the interview, and then you're going to make up your own mind like an adult. You're going to listen to some bits, and you might agree with some bits. You might listen to another bit and disagree, but that's fine. I think what's more dangerous is, is patronizing people and trying to curate something to appeal or to try and, how can I put this, engender an emotional response within your audience. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's ultimately dishonest. I think the, what we try and do, you know, when we had you on, which was a great interview, when we have anybody else on is go, look, this is a person. We believe this person is acting in good faith. This is this, these are these person's ideas. Listen to them. Maybe they might inform your thinking. Maybe they might challenge some of the presuppositions that you've had of these person or these set of ideas. And then you make your own mind up as an adult. Hmm. In interviews, have you ever uh, kind of think, well, I don't think they're being honest or I don't think they're acting in good faith. And what do you do when you're in a conversation like that? What are some of the I mean, skills it, you've I mean, to? It, it, it's, it's difficult because this is always a constant process of learning. Yeah. You know, this idea that you're just going to go in and you suddenly know everything, what, what you need to do, how you need to approach something. You know, there, there have been times where we haven't handled the, uh, the interview well. I, I, think the, the, I think the problem is, is when you book someone, you don't know what you're getting until the person is literally sitting in front of you. That's when you know them. Because mm -hmm. before, you don't. Because the media creates an image, social media creates another one. And you don't have a good handle on the person. But hmm. I think what comes up, and you might see it in some of our interviews, is when you're talking to someone and you think to yourself, you're not being honest. And also as well, you've got a trick. And that hmm. might work for social media where you, where you do the tweets and whatever else and they get hundreds of tens of thousands of retweets. But actually there's nothing more substantial to, than that. And I think the worst thing is when and we all suffer from it to a certain degree, I am no more innocent of this than anyone else, is when you're talking to someone and you, you can detect the cynicism to them and you mm. know that they're not acting in good faith. And when that okay. happens, it's actually quite disheartening because you realize that what you want to create and what we both want to create simply isn't going to be conveyed in this particular interview. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you don't uh, kind of force yourself to try to fix the situation. You kind of uh, no. just accept it, go through those seven. No, absolutely. And then, but then that's something grief. for the audience to learn. Where then the audience will look and watch yes. and go, yeah, yeah, I, I see through this person. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've noticed that too, and I've even noticed people not wanting to be interviewed uh, in, mm. in a certain respect because uh, th this particular format of conversation that we're both participating in. Uh, I guess some people can get away with it, um, but yeah. if the if the interviewer is acting from an honest and kind of a, a quiet place, then everything becomes naturally exposed. So uh, yeah. some people might be able to to perform uh, the whole thing, but every once in a while, even the performers, like what I don't like is somebody repeating themselves. I want like the new or the edge of yeah. where they are or something uh, beyond something that I've already heard in a way, and I can kind of hear that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and even with the performers, like you say, there'll be a moment where you just, there's a chink in the armor and you just get to see actually who they really are. Yeah. Nobody is good enough, smart enough, intelligent enough, brilliant enough as a performer that they can keep that up 24-7. When particularly in a long-form interview, 
yeah. eventually something that will happen that will make the mask slip. And mm-hmm. I think that's the art of being a good interviewer. And that's why sometimes when people go, you need to challenge your guests more. You need to go in and go, oh, but you said this seven to eight years ago on social media about, I don't know, whatever, you know, little people. Well, how could you say something like that? That's disgusting. It's like, you don't actually need to do that. You will just talk to someone. And then by talking to someone over an hour, you'll get a general flavor of who that person is. Mm-hmm. Was there ever uh, some guest that you had that completely surprised you? You had no idea. You had one set of expectations that were completely uh, blown away or you guys just turned a corner? Um, like lost what, your footing? Like what is going yeah. on? <laughs> so we had a comedian on called Steve Hughes. Um, and he, in America, you wouldn't have heard of him. He was, he was a big comedian in the UK. Uh, and uh, he was actually very like Bill Hicks-esque. In, in what he does, he did. He was talking hmm. about political correctness um, in back in 2008, and you know, criticizing political correctness and woke culture, and essentially, even though he didn't use those words, I mean, he used political correctness, but not woke culture back then. And then, when we came, he sat him. We sat him down. We expected him to be this sort of very uh, abrasive, but you know, very confident, cocksure comedian. And we expect him to rail against political correctness. And Steve, a few years back, he talked about it on the interview. He had a breakdown. He had a complete breakdown. Hmm. And so he spent a lot of time working on himself and trying to get back to a place where he is now functional, which he is. And when he was talking about his experiences, it meant that there was a real richness to them, which I didn't expect. I expected to have a conversation about political correctness, you know, the, the, the effect political correctness has in comedy, you know. And what he, we ended up talking about was something, something far richer, more interesting, and actually far more human as a result of it. So I think that, and you can see that with the amount of people who watched that interview. I think it's now on about 140,000 mm. people. And the people who watched it come away raving. It's still one of my favorite interviews of trigonometry. Wow. That's, that is a real uh, gift in a way. Uh, yeah. To go into that direction. Yeah, because he, he started to talk about, you know, you know the, the shadow and how we all have our shadow and how it's important to, to deal with your shadow. Not to, mm. not to point out the shadow in someone else when the reality is, is that you haven't dealt with yours. So you're pointing the finger at someone going, oh, you're having a negative impact on the world. Yeah, but what about your impact? What about what you're doing to the world? It's easy to point out somebody else's flaws and you know, <laughs> problems with their personality and their actions when yours are fundamentally not healthy either. Mm-hmm. I have experienced in my own life uh, that maturity is gotten... We were talking about the child and then we were talking about like the constructed adult, but the constructed adult goes through different phases of crisis or loss of faith or they, you know, their conception of the world themselves or other people are turned out to not be true or no longer valid. And through that process of going through moments of that, they, they actually become more and more, they become more and more like themselves before they were the adult, but actually more oh. enriched. Is there anything like that that you've gone through, like with a, with, like politically, where where you had that awakening moment, or where you had to really analyze uh, your belief structure and and uh, question those basic assumptions? I think it's when we started trigonometry. So the reason I'm, I'm sure Constant has probably explained, but the reason we started it is because Brexit happened in 2016. So that was when the UK had a vote, decided to leave the European Union. 
and this prompted a huge crisis in the in the UK, in our media, and people, and but all the it changed our country forever. And the rhetoric that came out of that decision was the people who voted for this were stupid, uh, racist, white idiots who had no idea what they were doing. And they have let their racism and their bigotry inform their decision. And it's a monumental act of self-sabotage. And that was what was going on. Now, my father voted for Brexit. And my, my dad, he was a really, you know, really, really nice guy, thoroughly decent human being in the 70s, married a woman of color, blah, 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 blah. You know, before it all became trendy and funky, we all had in, uh, Instagram hashtags and all the rest of it. And he voted for it for because he, my dad was a lawyer, but he was working in the local council. So he never made a lot of money. Um, and he voted for it for legal reasons. And I'm, he explained to me what his reasons were behind it. Hmm. And then it made me realize that this narrative that I've been fed is inherently false. And it's being used to demonize and smear people who think differently from the general or the liberal consensus. And from there I go, right, there's something else going on here. And with Constantine, we started the show, and that was the moment we started to explore that and go, right, well, let's talk to people who voted Brexit. Let's talk to people who understand what is going on here from both sides. And then from there on, we went on this journey of exploration. And from, mm -hmm. from there, we, we started to learn and grow and progress and understand why is it that people think differently? And why is it that actually if you think differently from a mainstream liberal consensus that is being propagated by the media, you're not a bad person. And actually, in many cases, it's, a, it's a, not in many cases, but a very legitimate way to think. Mm -hmm. When that narrative begins to unravel, people can go pretty, uh, you know, they can be black-pilled, they can be red-pilled, black-pilled, there's all these color pills, you know, and uh, yeah. the depth of that. But once you start tugging apart the media narrative, uh, mm. some people, you know, think of it as the Truman Show, where you're like, everything is constructed, everything is uh, a show, and I am somehow the star, but it's all fabricated. Uh, did you, how did you navigate that? And how did you keep on the optimistic side? Or have you had like really dark moments? And how do you uh, speak to people who do go into black pill territory with this? Could clarify for me, what does black pill actually okay. mean? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm showing my boomer credentials now. Okay. It's like, it's like the nihilism. It's that there's okay. uh, this thing is completely screwed up. Yeah. Uh, and things are not going to end well. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think this is the thing. I think that, for me, and what this has taught me more than anything else is a ridiculousness of simple uh, solutions for complex problems. That's all the narrative was about people who voted Brexit. It was okay. a simple narrative for which you know masked a very very complex problem. It's the same with people who voted Trump. All of these things we don't talk about, and actually. It's made me realize that life is infinitely more complex, more nuanced than we actually give it credit for. And I think the one thing that's, that I've taken from it, and it's a real positive of it, is just you don't know who somebody is. You don't. There's, you know, I've met people who've been vilified in the media or people say this or that about them. And then you meet them and you go, okay. I don't particularly agree with this aspect of your politics, but does that mean you're a bad person? Does that mean you're immoral or all these other things? No. 
And I think the one thing that's really heartwarming is a realization that actually we have a lot more in common than initially appears. It's why I detest identity politics, because it puts people in these groups and says, you're this and you're that, and this means this and this. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a bullshit narrative we just place on society. Because, again, simple narratives, simple solutions, it makes us feel better. But the mm. world is more complex than that. And it's much more interesting, much more challenging, much darker than that. And it's mm. like anything. It's how you want to spin it. But I like to look at it that way. Because by looking at it, I think you give humanity to people. And if I think you look at it the other way, you're just placing people into archetypes, camps, groups. And it's effectively dehumanizing. Mm. Are there things that you guys uh, want to touch but can't? Uh, want to cover but can't? Is there stuff that we want to cover but can't? Well, hands have been tied more and more because of the lockdown issue and because of the way YouTube's regulations when it comes to discussing um, COVID. In that, oh. you, yeah. Nice. So under YouTube uh, guidelines and regulations, if you put if you platform someone who contravenes WHO guidelines, that content is done. It doesn't even if even if the WH guidelines are contradicting the WH guidelines from three months ago. <laughs> well, this is it. You know, this is it. Even if it does, even if you platform somebody who is an expert in their field, but thinks differently or believes differently to the general consensus, that's it. You can hmm. get a strike against your channel. And we get people tweeting us going, why are you talking about this? It's like, because I don't want my channel to be erased. Oh wow! Okay. So those are that is that is where I find it very very frustrating because you look, you know, and people go, but if you're a free speech absolutist, you would do it, and I go, yeah, but you also need to balance it with the fact that I like eating. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That that is interesting. Once uh, I, I've received this criticism, or I've heard this criticism of other people, that once somebody's uh, paycheck depends on their opinion, you can kind of expect their opinion to no longer uh, be principled in a way. Mm. So there is to some degree a calculus that I do when I'm covering a narrative and I, I know that I'm not being completely, not that I'm being dishonest, but I'm, uh, I'm more worried about the story that's being told about the event than the event mm. itself. And yeah. so I'm like, well, I want to position myself to push the narrative the other way and not necessarily towards truth, but away from it being captured by this other side. So there's this political game that I'm playing uh, that can also be fed into by the fact that, yeah, I do need to capture, maintain, and change attention. So I am, uh, I am bound to be, uh, to be solicitous of people's uh, eyeballs and stuff like that. Well, I think, you know, I started off doing comedy, which is a infamously liberal, you know, hyper-liberal, woke industry. And when, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, for the vast majority of people, I'd say I was a very popular figure. I, you know, I had a lot of friends, blah, 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 all the rest of it. And then the more I did this show, the more I talked to people who thought differently, the more I started to notice that the comments were starting to change. People were starting to make comments about me that weren't particularly pleasant, you know, and then I'd walk into a green room before a gig and there would be, you know, instead of a, you know, bonhomie or whatever it may be, there was a chill in the room. Hmm. So I, I do know what you mean. I care. I mean, it's painful when it happened and, you know, certain things happened, you know, we lost our studio, et cetera, et cetera. I care less about that. 
I, I have got to the point now where I starting to not really give a fuck about what people think <laughs> in that I just, I just care that the interview is good. I just care that yeah. it's good that people enjoy it, that people will take something from it. And if people want to say something about me, if they want to make a comment about who I, and then, you know, you yes, that is your prerogative. That is what you're entitled to do. But uh, there, there was one thing actually that really made me realize how ridiculous this whole thing is. I was there's there's a comedy night called Comedy Unleashed, which is very very good, and I recommend everyone to check it out. Uh, it's called a free speech comedy night, and you know it encourages comedians not to self censor, to do jokes that might be a little bit more near the knuckle or be more political, etc. etc. And um, they they put on a whole range of acts, you know, uh, from a variety of different you know political perspectives, genders, races, all the rest of it, and you know, and lots of people to do it everybody has a great time and then vice came along one day when i was when i was the mc when i was the host and wrote this hit piece about why it was a far right comedy night and blah 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 there was actually a disabled comedian on that night didn't mention him in the review interesting wonder why maybe it's because it didn't fit the narrative anyway and then they put it out about how it was a far right comedy night and paul joseph watson was there apparently he was or apparently he wasn't i don't know but he might he apparently was there and that you know this is a bastion of the far right and it was it, this there's this comedian called Chappie called Sandy who's very big in the UK uh, she was she came to this country as an Iranian refugee uh, woman of color whatever else retweeted it with the words of all I came to I came to I did a set of this gig had a great time treated really well paid on time in cash happy to do it again right oh. but right but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. All these other comedians started retweeting it, liking it. And then mm. you go, the truth doesn't matter. What actually matters is the narrative. And it doesn't matter how many facts you present. It doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. What matters is their narrative. And at that point, I was still a teacher. I could have effectively lost my job for mm. performing comedy at a right-wing, you know, white supremacist, whatever, you know, comedy night, you know, that you know that was being platformed so mm -hmm. to go back to your point about worrying i understand where you're coming from but that was the moment where i go actually i don't care about what you think because what you think has no merit or value to it hmm. what do you think about the stranglehold of uh, certain ideology uh you know on comedy or on media in general uh and how do you see it uh, loosening? Do you see it loosening anytime soon? Or um, are this incentive structures too strong? So look, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the, in UK comedy, I'll talk about UK comedy because it will give this specific example will tell you how riddled UK comedy is. Uh, in order to make a name for yourself as a comedian, the old way is that you went up to the Edinburgh Festival and then your show would be well-reviewed and then uh, by the people at the festival, the tastemakers, and then brought down for a run at the Soho Theatre, and then you get TV people. That was the system, okay? Uh, I think it was 2018. The person who was a head of comedy at uh, the Edinburgh Festival, the head of the Comedy Awards, and also the woman who owns the Soho Theatre, which you need to go to in order for everybody to see you, uh, did a speech in, in which she said that she was looking forward to the next generation of woke comedians deciding mm. what is and isn't acceptable on stage. Wait, what? 
She said that? Yeah. That was much. the silent part. She said that out loud. Yeah, she said that out loud in a speech. <laughs> okay, so I guess the, the power structure is then behind the controllers of what is acceptable and unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Do you think that the, that notion of acceptability and unacceptability has always been there and just has been uh, increasingly captured? Or I isn't think that, comedy I think supposed to challenge the appropriate? I think that the purpose of comedy is that it has always been meant to challenge that. That is the yeah. purpose of it. It's to hold up the sacred cows to ridicule. I mean, it's not the only purpose, but it's one yeah. of its main purposes, to hold a sacred cow up to ridicule, to discuss the things that we can't discuss to point fun at the figures that we can't laugh at it's one of the things you know when you look at a dictator what's one of the first things they do is they you know they persecute the satirists and immediately you have people coming in going oh you can't laugh at this you can't laugh at that you get a great example of it you know is when biden was elected to power how many people made fun of biden how many comedians in the mainstream made fun of biden how many comedians in the mainstream made fun of kamala harris even though there is a lot to make fun of about There's that There's some moment. things to make fun of. That's yeah. kind of true. Yeah. But mm. nobody did. Yeah. Nobody did, you know. Yeah. It's almost, it felt like they were almost disappointed that Trump lost because then it meant that the butt of their joke yeah. has gone. And, yeah. But they can't make fun of Biden and they can't make fun of Kamala because, you know, they're the good ones. The adults mm. are back in the room. Yeah, yeah. And so the comedians can't act like children anymore because yeah. they don't have a child to make fun of. Absolutely. And, you when, know, and in this country, if you make fun of the Labour Party or if you, you know, that's it, that as a comedian, that's taboo. It's taboo hmm. to make fun of the left mm -hmm. because, you know, the people who are in comedy, the vast majority would identify as left. So by making fun of the left, you're making fun of them. Yeah. And how dare you make fun of them? Well, but don't, I thought that comedians, you know, leaned into being made fun of. No, Is that a recent really. development or they have always been very proud uh, above ridicule? <laughs> I, I mean, I can only talk from my own experiences. I think that hmm. now in comedy, it's the most intolerant person that it's ever been. And it's intolerant when it comes to diversity of ideas, when it comes to people actually criticizing fairly and both sides of the political spectrum. Most, there are comedians who I talk to who, would, who say, look, I love what you do, love trigonometry. I go, great, do you want to come on? Absolutely fucking not. I've got a career. <laughs> so, That's laughable. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't want to offend the tastemakers. They don't want to upset the tastemakers. Mm -hmm. I've just quoted that woman. I may have misquoted slightly, whatever else, but that's pretty much the gist of what she said. And everybody uh, was behind that. Nobody questioned that. Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. That's huh. great. Okay, yeah. That's brilliant. Why wouldn't you want that? But the problem is, what does that do to the state of comedy? It tells people that if you want to be successful, if you want to make something of yourself, if you want to go big, you have to have these, uh, these certain set of values. And if you mm -hmm. don't, I mean, you can have them, but you ain't going to get anywhere. And that's where we are.
Do you think that 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 sounds exhausting to me? Do you think that that can perpetuate itself? Do you see it uh, going good forever? Do you see it changing? Uh, do you see it collapsing? Do you see I it, see kind it of collapsing just... because it's shit. <clears throat> yeah, you, number so there's the anecdotal evidence. Whenever you know, I talk to yeah. people, you know. You know, like, I love, you know, when, when you, you meet people out and about, like you, you talk to ordinary people, as it were, people who've got a job, they don't give a crap about all of this. They just want to live their lives. And then they go, you know, like, you know, the guy who comes to fix a boiler in your house or does the electrics or whatever, whatever it is. And then they, they go to you, oh, well, what are you doing? They go, oh, I'm a comedian. And a lot of the time they'll say, you know what? I used to love comedy. I used to love comedy before. I watch it now and it's just boring. It's tedious. Mm. nobody mm. wants to be number one nobody wants to be patronized nobody wants to be lectured to and nobody wants somebody on stage saying what a great person there are well, who's the greatest comedian stand-up comedian that's probably ever lived it's, it's richard Pryor. Mm. Pryor would admit himself that he was a dreadful dreadful human being a terrible human being mm. But he went on that stage and spoke about his flaws and his pain and the fact that he was struggling and suffering and made brilliant comedy as a result of that. Hmm. Great comedy doesn't come from someone saying why it's bad to vote for Donald Trump. Do, do you see uh, the need to uh, become a mentor or set up a mentorship program to kind of give cover for young people to... Um you know, venture into that, uh, that territory and to, uh, you know, not accept that narrative. Do you see that or, or drawn to that? I, I, th I, I get what you're saying. I think all you can do is try and set an example. Yeah. And the example that I set is by doing this, by doing this, by doing the streams, by joking about what we joke about, by saying it's yeah. all right to joke about these things, you know, because I, be I believe that that's the only way to do it. It's by setting an example. And if you don't set an example, then it's going to be lost. Yeah, you guys are being, you are very successful. That should show people that there yeah. is, like on a market level, it should show yeah. that people are hungering for, for something other than what, what's, uh, what the tastemakers are uh, yeah. dictating. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, I, I, but I think it's very, very difficult because, again, it goes back to, you know, oxytocin, the hormone. We want to be part of the group. Okay. We want to yeah. be part of the tribe. Immediately to step out of it and go, you know what? I'm going to think for myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to forge my own path. That's tough. Mm. And as well, people are going to say nasty things about you, whether it's writing a hit piece in Vice, which is completely nonsensical, and people are going to share as if it's true. People who want you once considered to be your friends. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's people going like, you know, underneath a clip that, you know, that's uh, of your stand up. Oh, and saying this guy's pro fascist. <laughs> yeah. People understandably don't want that written about them. So yeah. I, I, I don't blame people for not doing it. It is the, the tougher thing to do. It's much harder. But, you know, if you've got, if you think this way and you have integrity and you, you have integrity of action, I think it's the only way to live. 
What are some topics that you are drawn to uh, that you that you want to explore in the future? What do you think hasn't been explored uh, enough yet, or uh, what's a dark territory that has yet to be mapped? Well, in comedy, in comedy, or in what you guys in, are doing now, in, co- in comedy, and and what we're doing, what's a dark territory? We tend to. One thing that we really want to explore in in our YouTube show, which we haven't done enough, is very, very little. And it's not for want of trying. We're desperately trying to get people on. It's people to talk about psychedelics and drugs. Okay. Because, you know, there's a lot that we are not doing that can really help alleviate suffering in the world when it comes to psychedelics, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to things like microdosing. And it's starting to open up. There was, I mean, I think it got shut down, obviously, because of the pandemic. Uh, there's, I think it was in King's College London, which is pioneering research into psychedelics and how it can be used to treat anxiety and depression in a way that not just to treat, but also to help reprogram the brain in a way. And we would love to get somebody on to talk about that. But at the moment, that's proving difficult. But that's something that I would very, very much love to explore, because if how much better would society be if we found a way to safely reprogram and help people deal with their childhood trauma? It would completely would, change the world. It would completely change our societies. Isn't that what the re-education camps are for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Maybe we just need to do that. Maybe we just need re-education camps everywhere. Uh, across the board. Across what what the turned board. you on to psychedelics? I did not expect that answer. Uh, uh, is there an article done, or somebody done, that done, you know? Yeah, I've done psychedelics before. Um, and once you do psychedelics, once you take them, it, it, it hmm. fundamentally changes you see the world. And that is very, very difficult to have, not have an appreciation of nature and the natural world before you take psychedelics. Hmm. Like, when I, before I took psychedelics, I'd see somebody looking at a sunset. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with that hippie? <laughs> Well, you can look at a sunset. What's the matter with you? And then you just, and then you take, you know, you take whatever it may be. And, you know, you listen to Beethoven's Ode to Joy whilst the sun rises. And you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Huh. It's, it. It makes you realize that not only the beauty of the natural world, but also the fact that you are completely insignificant and hmm. utterly unimportant. And that gives, I think that makes you a better person because it gives you humility. You realize you're not that important. The world will keep spinning long after you go. Huh. That um, humility is good to have, but it, it has to be balanced with uh, ambition. You can't just not do anything because mm. you're insignificant. So how do you, how do you uh, get those two to work together? I think it's a realization that th- there's a very, very small window of things that you can change or that you can influence okay right there's it's very very small there's a whole fan of things that you can't possibly influence but there's also a tiny little part of that fan that you can so why not influence that little part of it why not try and make that better why not and try and you know create something that is of value to yourself and to other people that's the way that's the way i would approach it it's why I never wanted to do a job where I didn't see some form of value in it because it's only by doing that that you, you actually feel good about yourself hmm. and you actually realize that I, I think that the, the, the true meaning of, 
how I would find meaning of it is that you know that you help someone because like when when you go to like, not that I went to AA a lot but you know you the only real way to help someone to help yourself is to help someone else and I think that by understanding that is actually a way that you get to live a more successful happy and better life hmm that um kind of leads naturally i want to ask about spirituality and if you guys are uh have you do you want to map religion and interview that uh aspect of culture yeah have you got- and yeah well i mean look the, the, the thing is with you know with, with religion is that it's a belief system. It can either be proved nor disproved and, you know, all the rest of it. But there certainly is. We, we, we've, we've had people on. We had a, a historian, Tom Holland, who uh, spoke yeah. to us about Christianity and the link between wokeness and Christianity. But, yeah, we, we really want to explore that. Yeah. You know, there, there's moments where, you know, where we're in meetings, where we go, right, where do we want to go now? What do we want to yeah. talk about now? Because I'm going to be honest with you, like, the woke stuff, like, it just bores the shit out of me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I had to do an episode about it today that it'll be released, but, yeah. be, but because I have to, but it's yeah. so obligatory. And it's important because, you know, it's rapidly encroaching more and more into people's lives. They feel uncomfortable. They don't know how to fight back against it. They're worried about their own livelihoods, et cetera, et cetera. And it's still important to talk about because it's becoming more prevalent, but it's just fucking boring. It's it's like the you know the you know like the trans issue you know and we were talking about the difference between men and women and and I remember like we had Dr. Deborah so on and I really like Deborah I think she's great and you know she's really funny and she's she's really intelligent there's loads that you can talk about with her and we talked about why men and women are different and I'm like <laughs> you know is this is this what we're going to talk to someone about you know who's got this wealth of experience. And, you know, is, is a sex researcher. We're going to just talk about, well, that's where we are. That's where we are. I had to do that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Did you do that? Did you interview Deborah? Yeah. 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 No, well, I've had Deborah on, but I talked yeah. to Colin Wright and uh, yeah. Emma Hilton. Just like, yeah. okay, this is an egg. This is a sperm. This is a male. This is a female. Like, why are I we did, doing this? Because we have to. <laughs> as a primary, in primary school science. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you look at everything there is to talk about, the richness and diversity of things that I have no clue about and yeah. that would educate people and help people understand about, them, about their own lives, their own bodies, et cetera, et cetera, how their decisions are influenced by their genetic makeup, their hormones, their sugar levels. We can talk about this with all evolutionary biologists, all these people, yet we always go back to, you know, why is it bad to be white or whatever it may be? I just, it just <laughs> makes me want to put my head in an oven sometimes, you know? Is a penis male? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> well, if it's in a female changing room. <laughs> what are you going to do? And that goes back to comedy. Before, you know, talking about the difference between men and women would be the hackiest subject in the world. However, there'd be a groan at the back from the comedians. The eyes would roll to the back of their head. Now, oh, it's a hot topic. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Oh my God, is he going to go there?" Yes, women, men, and women are different. It just makes you. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, like the this uh, the bar of bravery has gotten so low, and it's only so low because nobody wants to walk it. It's yeah, like... it's like now we're going. 
you know, should, should you know, trans athlete be allowed to compete in women's sport? And we all know the answer is no. Hmm. But you say that and it all goes, boom. Hmm. And people go, but there's no difference between men and women. I'm like, mm, I never date a woman with the same testosterone level as me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's that's just not. Some people are made like that, and you aren't. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. You just, it just, you know, it just feels like we are a society that is gradually losing its mind. Yeah, yeah. And the the sane ones are the kind of the nerds and the geeks at this point, Re- mm. reluctantly re- the reluctant heroes, like a dirty dozen kind of thing. Absolutely. You do tend to find as well that a lot of the time, the people who get in like all these scrapes tend to be like the autistic ones. Like, you, you know, it's like they're autistic and then they just go, no, 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 this is it. You know, because this is it. There's a difference between this and this and everyone starts shrieking, cancel them. And they're like, but why? I just said something that was true. <laughs> do you, yeah. uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of different kinds of comedy and a lot of different comedians too. There's a lot of variety. Mm. Uh, is there a, like a, you see the red button with the, with the sticker, do not touch. Uh, yeah. And you, are, is that a part of your character? Like I, I kind of have to touch it or do you get into situations where like, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't tweet this. I have the perfect tweet, but I shouldn't tweet. Yeah, we, you do. I always remember, uh, who this guy is not a comedian he's a he's a banker actually but he's one of my best friends growing up and like him and i used to have this rule at school where it was just like if it's funny but you're going to get in loads of shit for saying it but it's really funny you've got to do it (laughs) you've got to do it and that should be the impulse of every comedian if something is really funny but you know it's going to piss people off then you know what it's probably extra funny. <laughs> hmm. well, I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. Like um, this was in an economics class and uh, there was a teacher who had a st- her stammer and he said to the class like, uh, right, everyone, I want you to think of a pop, 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 pop. And this went on for about a minute. Pop, 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 popular slogan. And my friend put up his hand and he went, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> like, you've got to do it. You've got yeah. to. If you're a comedian, if you have that comedic impulse, you've got to say the thing that's funny. Yeah. And you've got to yeah. be prepared to take the flack. And you've yeah. got to be prepared to take the heat when people get outraged, upset, angry by it. But that's what, what makes are some, great comedy. What's, what are some tips for, for that, for, for taking the flack? I guess you said you don't give a fuck. That, that's part of it, but... I think part of it is realizing that it's nonsense. It's all manufactured outrage. Nobody's hmm. that offended by a joke. Nobody's ever that upset by, you know, a quip or a comment. You know, we're living in a global pandemic. You know, people's lives are being thrown up in the air. People are losing their businesses. Their relationships are crumbling. You know, they're trying to educate their children. They realize their children are pricks. You know, and they're more like their dad. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And whatever. Yeah. Nobody cares that much. This is all just manufactured nonsense so people can create some kind of identity for themselves and, you know, and create some kind of career, whatever else it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look, and as well, there's another rule for it, which is like, if it's about a racial group, 
and you're happy to perform it to that racial group, you know, then you, you then there's nothing wrong with the joke. But if you've got a joke about a racial group and you go, I'm not happy to do it. Like, I've got a joke about how um, it's a part of a longer routine where I go, you know, like I, I talk about in London, in, in England, this voice is a racist voice, right? In England. Yeah, this is like a, like, you know, this is like okay. a racist voice, this voice, is right? It? Yeah. Okay. And okay. I go, but, you know, all my ex-partners are always black or mixed race, so my voice is racist, but my dick is woke, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and white people really tense up at that. But you do that at a gig where there's, you know, it's a black gig or there's lots of black people in the room. They'll, you know, it will always go down really well. Yeah, you yeah. know. So you've got to you've got to have integrity with what you're doing. If you feel yeah. uncomfortable doing the joke, then maybe it's partly because of you, or maybe it's partly because you realise that joke doesn't come from a pure place, and it's not meant. In to it's it's playing on something which you don't believe in, and I think that's 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 the real crux of it. Hmm. So, in the evaluation of uh, whether or not to say the thing, isn't about there's the funny quotient, then there's the you know how wrong is that, but yeah. then there's this value judgment too. Is what hmm. you're saying? Does this absolutely does this, just because you I, say yeah. Just because you can say something, it doesn't mean that you should say it. It's do you believe in it? Do you think it's funny? And <laughs> you believe that it that it also that it comes from a good that that where does the joke come from? Does it come from a desire to make people laugh, to make people enjoy themselves? To go look, there's this true thing. I mean, none of us like to talk about it, but it's fucking there. So what are you going to do? I mean, not talk, right? I mean, it's there. It's there. We all know it's there. Or is it coming from a different place? Hmm. And I think if your intentions are true and you believe in what you say and you believe in your jokes, then it's fine. Hmm. It's fine. There's a com comedy can be kind of mean too. Yeah. There's that. There's that. Oh, absolutely. Part in, yeah. yeah. How do you? Uh, did working with kids help you to like? You know, know when you're being too mean like because uh, you have to have a joke's got to have bite but no, you have cool. to have like control over the jaw you know you don't want to like uh, yeah so hurt people i guess right no you don't want to you know you don't want to hurt people you want to make people laugh you, the 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 thing to realize is that hmm. a natural fallout of your humor is that it might offend a certain percentage of people yeah and it doesn't matter what the joke is, your joke will always offend someone. I'll give you an example. There was this comedian. Uh, he did a show at the Edinburgh Festival, and he's a vegan, lefty, liberal, da 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 da, -da a very nice guy. And he did a show all about animals. And he did this routine about why he hates pugs, because pugs are fucking ugly, and all the rest of it. And halfway through one of his gigs, this woman stood up, screamed at him, and went, I've got a pug, you're a bastard, and stormed out of the room. <laughs> That, that that must have like enriched the entire routine. Yeah, of course, of course. So whatever you do, you're always yeah. going to piss someone off. Yeah, you know, yeah. you it's you it's always, you're always going to piss someone off. So jokes have to have bite. They there needs to be a in there needs to be something fundamentally true about them. Mm -hmm. 
but also it's if it's a good joke i think it's going to piss off a couple of people yeah yeah but that's different Uh, being offensive or uh so what's happened is that offense is now equated with harm right yeah which conflates the kind of the point you don't want to actually hurt somebody but if they can conflate being offended with being hurt yeah yeah. then then the whole the whole structures uh, becomes woke basically it collapses but that comes from narcissism that comes from someone saying i'm upset i'm offended therefore i want all of this to be shut down because of Mm -hmm. me because of Mm -hmm. my sensibility because of the way i see the world and that is incredibly narcissistic and comes from a very, very, very dark place. It's somebody masquerading as a good person, and tr- but really what they are is something far, far darker and far, far worse. Well, I'll give you an example. So I used to host uh, every Sunday uh, a new act, new material night, where we used to get professionals come down, test out new jokes. We used to get like people from TV, and we'd get new people starting out. And there was this one, uh, this one woman, she came, uh, she did a set, and she was starting out in her career. You could tell she had potential, right? But she wasn't there yet, but she had potential. She had some nicely written jokes. And one of the jokes was about, um, you know, uh, it was about rape. But it was done in a very, very, very funny way and, you know, very dark and quite twisted. Uh, but it was very good. It was a very funny joke. Anyway, she did it. She did it well on stage. And halfway, and as she was saying it, she, this woman got up and walked out. And she looked upset and it didn't look fake. It didn't look staged. And I, and I, as this girl was on, a woman was on stage performing, I was the MC. So I went around to see her and see if she was all right. I was like, are you okay? She goes, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was just sexually abused when I was younger. And then when she said that, it just brought back some weird memories. Like, I'll be cool. I just don't want to be in the room now where she's on. But when she's finished, I'm going to go back. I'm going to sit down and I'm, cause I'm having a really nice time. It just I just got a bit of a weird feeling from it. Hmm. Now, isn't that the more mature, sensible route to take, adult route to take of God? Yeah. This isn't for me. Yeah. For very, you know, very good, sane, honest reasons. Yeah. I don't want to listen to it, but neither will I stop other people's enjoyment of this. And we just all have to accept that some things aren't for us. Yeah. Like uh, a good example is that, you know, uh, the comedian Hannah Gadsby did a show which was very, very woke and whatever else. People will love it. You know, it was a talk of the town at the Edinburgh Festival. Is it for me? No, I don't want to watch it. But, you know, if other people do, great. Go and watch it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to just start accepting that, that there's going to be some stuff that we like and that we enjoy that we share and go, isn't this funny? And there's stuff that we don't, but that's fine as well. And if somebody wanted to get gets up and tell horrendously awful dark jokes, well, that's cool as well. Yeah, just not for you. Yeah, um, that that anecdote about the woman who walked out uh, expresses mm. a, a form of dignity that we don't get to see, and so it's really un, uh, it's under underrepresented online uh, mm. people just quietly walking away and dealing yeah. with their own problems i yeah. wish we could model that but as soon as it's as soon as it's published it becomes a performance like there's yeah. aspects of our lives that are not 
performative or not for yeah. other people to see and they yeah. they don't get rep uh they don't get represented and then they don't get replicated yeah. by people who don't know any better young people stuff like that yeah absolutely because that to me was a very very honorable and dignified way of dealing with an awful thing that had happened in her life you could see from her facial expression as to her, she was still very much dealing with it there was still understandably very real trauma in there and she was still processing it but how much better is that than to go and just go, oh, I find this awful and offensive and whatever else. Just take yourself out and go, not for me. And then when it's done, go back in. And I remember the woman came up to me, the comedian came up to me afterwards, and she was like, I'm just so just so horrified. I, I can't yeah. believe that that happened. This is awful. Am I you know, basically saying one in reassurance? Am I a bad person? And I go back to what I said before to you about the jo about jokes. I said, was your joke designed to hurt people? She was like, no. I said, was it designed, was it, did it have malice behind it? She was, no. I said, what was the purpose of your joke? She said, well, to bring light to an awful situation that unfortunately a lot of women and men go through. So then you're fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, because you touch on a subject that is contentious, it's going to upset some people. And mm -hmm. that's fine as well. Mm -hmm. But what's important is intention. Yeah. Yeah. The malice-free humor. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe some malice, just a little bit yeah. here and there. <laughs> yeah, you can have humor with malice. Of course you can. You know, and whatever else. I just, yeah. I, I, I find it very interesting with comedians. The ones that always pretend to be the nice person on stage a lot of the time, like I'm your best mate, they always tend to be cunts off stage. You know, if, what if you... What happens to, what about the cunts on stage? They always tend to be nice people. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> it is. You know... Uh, you know, I, I've got this joke and I'm still working out how to do it when we're all let back into the real world. But it's basically like whenever I see someone on Twitter or on stage talking about how great they are, I'm always like, yeah, he's probably fucked a kid. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Why do you need to perform? Why do you need to pretend to be something you're not? Mm. You know, which which is different. It's different. I think that there there's like this kind of hat thing that mm. that you guys do or you do as a comedian mm. and then as an interviewer. There is a sincere uh, there's the sincere product, the interview. Uh, yeah. You know, when when you're uh, engaging with somebody else, and then there's the uh, not insincere when you're a comedian, but it's a completely different mm. game. It's a different game. Yeah. And uh, it might be the case that. Uh, People need to understand that there's these different modalities of communication yeah. and certain things are performative and certain things can be expressed non-performatively, you know, in, mm. the, in the right context. I guess yeah. there's different contextual uh, signifiers about what is proper to be expressing and what, mm. what's not proper or what, what can be come off as, as manipulative or narcissistic if you yeah. express certain things in certain contexts. I think that, you know, let, let's be fair, when we're talking about comedians, we're, we're all grade A narcissists, if you want yeah, to. Yeah, you guys are pretty, yeah. You guys are we're the big. worst. Yeah, yeah. We're the worst. Guess, we're like, oh, I'm yeah. so humble, I just want to make people laugh. No, you just want to make a few hundred people in a room listen to you whilst you talk to them via a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's pretend, let's not pretend as to what we are. Um, so, I, I, I think there's that element to it. but But I also think that when it comes to comedy like to me the, the the thing that i love about comedy is the fact that there is is the honesty to it in that nothing will cut through the bullshit like a great joke or a great comment mm -hmm. 
and it will just summing some it will just sum up the entire situation far better than any you know essay or or pithy comment could ever could ever do yeah. like yeah. you know i i was just i remember when again going back to this time I, I ran this comedy club and then there was this one person uh this one comedian who came in and she was very new and starting out and she's, you know, obviously very woke and she wanted to tell me all about herself. And she was like, so the thing you need to know about me is that I'm queer and, and then one of the comedians, she was backstage, overheard it. She just rolled her eyes and went, isn't everyone now? <laughs> Your cue card doesn't mean anything anymore, yeah, dear. Yeah. <laughs> But that you know, word was that specifically one, designed to let everybody in to the rainbow yeah. gathering. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. yeah. And that's the beauty of comedy is that you can puncture pomposity, you know, mm-hmm. bad ideas, <laughs> and, and actually take down people who really deserve to be taken down a peg or two. And that's its real power. And by muzzling it and saying, oh, you can't laugh about this, or you can only do this, and so, you're actually destroying the art form. Until all that we're going to be left with, we're just going to be you know, joking about what it's like to get on a bus. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing Jerry Seinfeld-esque observational humor. But if that's all it is, then you're going to destroy yeah. the art form. There's an aspect of it that is... Uh, like the debugging of culture. Like that's mm. the, 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 it's like this checksum or something like that. I'm yeah. not a coder or anything like that, yeah. but the, the role of comedy in a healthy society, at least in our society, maybe there's mm. societies that don't need it or don't have it, mm. but it has uh, like, it's a, the check and balance thing. It yeah. kind of gets a, away from culture enough to, to actually criticize it and then become a part of it. And without that, what, how, how do, what are we left with? Uh, with without that particular tool, well, without humor, and th- that's the other thing with uh, people who control language, usually aren't really good with language and don't have a sense of humor. Like the, mm. all these hate speech laws or whatever that, that your country is toying around with, and my country too. Yeah, um, it's like who actually gets to decide that, and are they the ones that like are good with language? Are they the ones with the sense of humor? Like usually they're not. They're the worst people. The, the the people that you the last people you want in charge of like you know dictating what is and isn't acceptable to say. Well, absolutely. Those are the those are the real people that you absolutely don't want anywhere near comedy, because yeah. the moment you start analyzing a joke, the moment and well, this is what mm-hmm. people love to do is they take apart a routine and then they will quote something out of context, remove all the irony from it, and go, look, isn't this awful and offensive? immediately you, you start a pylon. And that means that it's not just what happens to that comedian. It's that, that everybody else feels that they need to self-censor as a result because they need because they feel that if that happened to this person over there, then invariably if they're going to go down this route, it's going to happen hmm. to them. And it's why it's so important that when people, you see that happen to other people, but comedians especially, that people have the integrity to actually stand up because it's only by doing that mm-hmm. will we actually put an end to this practice of wanting to destroy people for what they think and say yeah. instead of to actually criticize their ideas or their comedy or whatever else, which we should all be open to do. Yeah. 
I'm I'm really sorry, Benjamin. I've yeah, you got to go. Okay. Yeah. Well, one one little thing. Um, yeah. if if you guys do want to cover COVID, maybe yeah. you should just contract it and then have a bunch of people come on <laughs> and, and, and give you anal swaps. Oh wait, you already had it. Yeah. So you, so you should all... be free to talk about it however no. you want. No, no, no. If you want to monetize a YouTube channel. No. Okay. All right. Well, we all make sacrifices for our, our ultimate uh, values. Thank you so much, Francis. Thanks for the conversation. It was wonderful to have you on. Oh, well, no pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I hope that some that we can meet each other uh, yeah. in the real world. That'd be nice and have a drink in a pub or a bar. Remember them? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I, I, I drink alone now, which isn't the best for me, but at least there's songs <laughs> about it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's an honest drink, isn't it? Let's be fair. Yeah, it's a very honest drink. <laughs> All right, Francis, you have a good evening. All right, cheers, Benjamin. Take care. All right. Bye, Ciao. bye, 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 bye. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.